we're going to finish up, I better get cranking, we're going to finish up our study in 1 Samuel this evening. This has been uh, an encouraging study for us, the unwavering walk, uh, just seeing the beauty and the simplicity of walking with God without flash, without fanfare, without having to be, you know, the bionic Christian or the bionic believer, just, just seeing how, how pleased God is with a life that may not be flashy, but it's faithful. And I think that's where a lot of us just really need to shoot for in our lives, that we live in such a sensationalized culture where everything's got to be neon and high def and super cool and high octane, that sometimes, you know, we, we sense an absence because we're just living what may be the normal Christian life, not in a negative sense, but just in a steadfast, stable and with occasional peaks and a few valleys, but you know, we're not King David, we're not the Apostle Paul, you know, we're not Solomon, uh, we're not Peter, we're not all of these people that leap off the pages of the Scripture. We're just you know, serving the Lord, loving Him, worshiping Him, and praying for His return. And so it can, if we're not careful, because we're not sensationalized people, uh, we could fall into the trap of thinking, well, my life doesn't impact much. Well, Samuel wasn't sensational. Tonight it's going to be a little weird, but his life for the most part was not overly uh, flamboyant. And yet, as we've studied, I find myself wanting to be more like him. So I hope you've been encouraged in these, uh, what will be 10 weeks tonight. And tonight I'm going to bring you a, a message that quite frankly there's no other way for me to say it. The passage of scripture before us tonight is just straight up a little weird. It's holy because it's God's word, but from the human standpoint and the natural, it's just weird. And it's unlike almost any other passage in Scripture that you're going to find. And so, in keeping with the spirit of its peculiarity, I've, I've titled the message, Kings, Witches, and Ghosts. Happy Halloween, amen? I mean, I just, it just, it's, it's all there in the passage. So, let me get into the Word, and uh, I want you to join me in 1 Samuel 28, verse 3. 1 Samuel 28, uh, 28 verse number 3, it says, Now Samuel had died. And all Israel mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. 
He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. And then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. I said in more than one of these messages that the thing that instructs me with the most impact in the life of Saul is that he had incredible t potential to be one of the great heroes of the faith. And he squandered every bit of that potential, wasted his life. And we're going to see, we'll reference it tonight, that he died in absolute disgrace and shame. And it was all his choice. He wasn't predestined to that. He wasn't damned to that. It wasn't that he never stood a chance. It was because of the choices that he made incrementally that took him across the line from which he would never be saved. And so as we look at this tonight, we're going to be instructed about several things, not the least of which is this issue that it still lingers in our generation of the occult. And what we're going to see tonight has very practical impact for you and for me living in a society that is impacted in so many different areas by subtle and not so subtle influences of occultism, of strange fire, of new ageism, and of at times outright evil. And so we're going to look through this passage and it is not encouraging. So if you came to be encouraged tonight, you're going to have to find your encouragement in that if he is that Jesus is Lord of your life and this will never be your destiny. But if you're looking for something as encouraging as maybe the last time we gathered together where it felt really good, come on a different day and maybe we can help you with that. But tonight it's sobering instruction. So let's begin back up in verse number three, where we find ourselves in this hollow, dark season in Israel. And so David is not in the land. Saul has been spending the better part of a decade or more chasing David, hunting him down, trying to kill him. And now David is in the land of the Philistines, somewhere between Philistia and coming back to Israel, but he's not there. And so Saul is the leader. But look here, the godly man had died. The godly man had died. It's very simple, very plain. Samuel had died. All Israel mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Now remember, this series has been on the life of Samuel, so I don't want to just gloss past this. A great life had come to a physical end. Just as we all have to recognize that each one of us has a date with the dust, we, we came forth 
and, and we are going to leave this earth. It's appointed unto each of us to die one time, and then we stand before the Lord. We all know that. And Samuel had finished his race. Samuel had been from really the womb, from his conception, he had a spiritual touch upon his life through his mom's prayers. He was conceived and he was dedicated unto the Lord. He was raised there in the tabernacle. He was then uh, ushered in to become the judge uh, of Israel and he governed for so long. He anointed Saul the first king. Then he would later anoint David. And he, he literally had to turn over his judgeship to Saul's rule. And then he became the prophet of the nation. But now the prophet was gone. There was nobody speaking for the Lord in Israel. The prophet had gone home to be with the Lord, and in the land there was no prophetic voice. There, there was a famine in the land of prophecy from God. And therefore, when the godly man had died, it darkened in Israel. But not only was it just an absence of Samuel, look in verse number four, the enemy was approaching. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. Here comes the rumble. Here comes the fight. And yet what we don't read here is that the Philistines' numbers were large enough. And Saul had no peace of the Lord because he had been living in his flesh for so long. He had been resisting God. He had been grieving God. He had been doing things according to his own wisdom. He had spent most of his energy and most of his focus in madness and paranoia, seeking to exterminate King David, who he perceived as a threat to his own reign. And so he had expended all of his internal resources trying to kill David, and he had taken his eye off the enemy, and now the enemy is coming up to do battle. So it got a little bit more dark in Israel. Samuel's gone, the enemy is showing up, and the king was floundering. Verse 5 and verse 6, the king, Saul himself, was floundering. It says here, when Saul saw the enemy, excuse me, the army of the Philistines, it's very simple, he was afraid. And don't miss this footnote, his heart trembled greatly. I have written across from the pages of my Bible the word panic. He was living in constant anxiety and panic. The enemy had now grown so large that, and because Saul had no sense of the presence or the favor of God because of the way he had lived, the enemy had all of his attention, and Saul knew in his heart that he was no match for the Philistines. It's very interesting, at the inauguration of Saul, and even at the request from Israel for a king of their own, they said, give us somebody who will go out before us and defeat all of our enemies. And they chose Saul, and here he is at the end of his life, and he's terrified of the enemy. How many of you know that when God gives you what you want, even though that he didn't want to give it to you, there's a price to pay? And so the price for Saul was the state of panic. And verse 6 says, when Saul inquired of the Lord, this is the, the floundering part. So Saul is now pursuing the Lord too late, and the Lord did not answer him. And there are three primary ways that people sought the Lord back then, or at least kings did. That God would speak to people regularly in dreams. Saul got no dreams from God. And then you have also the voice of the prophets. But Samuel was dead, and he had long since cut off his relationship with Saul. They had had no interaction. So there's no prophetic voice. There's no revelation coming to Saul. And then you have this mention of the Urim. And this, and I can't go into a lot of detail, but one of the, the things that the priests did is they would wear their priestly garments, and inside the front pocket of the garment there was basically a lot. We might be comparable to a, a die, uh, rolling the dice. And yet it was a sanctioned way that the people 
of God in that day would hear from the Lord. But the Bible gives us a note here that Saul couldn't get anything from the Lord even with the, the Urim. And do you know why? Because he had killed all the priests. He had exterminated all of the priests because he thought they were on David's side. And so if Saul could have or would have wanted a word to come through the priesthood, they were all dead but Abiathar and he had run. So there was no active sanctioned priesthood in Israel. So Saul had cut himself off from hearing from the Lord. And indeed, because of that, it was a very hollow, dark season in the land of Israel. Now come down further. Because God was going to be very gracious to Israel through a forthcoming king named David. That's an entirely different series. But God would deal with Saul in this passage of Scripture in a way that quite honestly, um, I, I prayed over this. My own personal testimony here was today going over this familiar story again. And I literally pushed back from my desk in my office. And I lifted my hands and I closed my eyes. And I said, Lord Jesus, if my life would ever be pointed in the direction of King Saul, I pray that you will kill me before that ever happens. I do not want to ever, ever live in the trajectory of where this man went. And if we're humble enough, we recognize that there, but for the grace of God, we could go in that direction. So what did that direction look like for Saul? Well, forgive me for sounding judgmental, but we're going to take a look at the carnal evil heart in Saul. Verse number seven, godless disobedience now directed Saul. Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. Uh, I, I, I cut my teeth on the King James Bible, and I believe the word witch is used there. I think it's the witch of Endor. That's what we, we always called her, and I'm not sure if that's the actual word in the KJV, but I remember I always knew this, this lady as the witch of Endor. And so Saul can't get anything from God, but he knows he's got nothing in his own heart. And so when he is no longer connected with God, he says, well, if I can't have holy spiritual counsel, I'm still going to get me some spiritual counsel. And, and one of the things to remember about all of this is not everything that is supernatural is of God. Not everything that is spiritual is holy spiritual. And so what Saul did is in this constant display of his self-willfulness, he always took things into his own hands. And the attitude seems to be, well, if God's not going to talk to me, I'm going to bypass God. I'm going to get this witch of Endor to conjure up my old buddy Samuel from the dead. Now, this seems weird to me. I mean, it really does. I, I, I confess, and I don't mean any irreverence to, to my Bible by saying that. But this is just kind of a weird scene. I don't, I don't really know what to do with it except just let it speak to us. Saul... It even said it at the beginning of this chapter in verse number three that Saul had previously made a proclamation in better days where he was a little closer to God. He recognized that we can't have occultism in Israel. We can't have people practicing necromancy, which is the art of communicating with the dead. We, we can't have uh, uh, witches and mediums and, and the kind of occult practices that go on in other of the pagan lands. We can't do that. Now, why would he say that? Well, the reason why is because it was actually written in God's law to Israel. 
God's law to Israel forbade any kind of occultic practice. And I will go so far today to say that though we are not Israel, the heart of God towards this issue has not changed at all. And you and I live in a country where many people that would profess the name of Jesus and many who are legitimately saved don't bat an eye at dabbling in things that are perilously close, if not fully entrenched, in occultism. Let, let me give you some, some verses. These won't be up on your screen. Just listen here. In Deuteronomy chapter number 18, beginning at verse number 10, you can write this down. Deuteronomy 18, verse number 10. Here's what God said. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. And by the way, that, that has a reference to uh, hallucinogenic drugs that tap you into kind of a spiritual dimension. Or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, they listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord says, I have not allowed you to do this. So God, from the very beginning of his covenant interaction with his people Israel, he said, all of these pagan nations do all of this occultic stuff, but you will never do it as my children. And in Leviticus 19.31, a much more condensed, do not turn to mediums nor necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 26, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, this is intense, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Now, why do I even bother telling you all that? Well, two reasons. One, to show how deeply Saul had fallen off the deep end at the end of his life. He's so far away from God, and what we're about to see is going to display that. So I want to highlight it in the context of 1 Samuel 28, but I also want to say, hey, God's heart on this hasn't changed. Listen, friends, I'll weave in a little bit of testimony here. I was not saved until I was 24 years old. I was raised in church, but I was a false professor. I prayed the prayer, I got baptized, but I wasn't regenerated. And as a teenager, my life went far away from the principles that I learned at the church I grew up in. And I began to pursue whatever my friends were pursuing, and then I led others down that same dark road. And part of a season of my life, we were dabbling in the occult. Ouija boards, seances, new age mysticism, Crystal meditation, which was simply trying to channel a spirit guide through a crystal. Now, I'm, I'm not uh, happy about that being a part of my life, but I want to tell you something about it. It wasn't just foolish child's play. I have no doubt whatsoever that that and the combination of, of substances that I was using at that time opened my whole life up to a new level of evil that would not have been opened to me. I, I'll give you one little snapshot. I, I remember being 16 years old with about nine friends on a Friday night when one of the parents was home and somebody had the idea of why don't we have a seance. 
So we intentionally took off all the lights and dimmed it down. I believe there was a candle and we had one friend lay down on the floor and I don't know what we were doing but we were chanting something and we each had a finger under the friend and we each with one finger, there were six of us, lifted about a 185 pound man off the floor and I remember knowing in that moment, sensing that there was a force in the room that I didn't want to have anything to do with. I remember taking my hands off and backing off of it. Now there are other stories I could tell but that's not my purpose tonight. My purpose is to say this, when people mess with that, when they dabble in it, when they think out of curiosity, let's just see whether it be a Ouija board, whether it be an inordinate obsession with, with astrological in, information and signs and all of that, I'm just going to give you a simple warning before moving on. We do knock on doors that I promise you we don't want opened. And I would encourage all of us to tighten up a little bit on that. Watch our sons and our daughters who have much easier access to these kind of things than we did. And to love one another enough to come alongside occasionally and say, you know what, there's nothing in those things that's going to benefit your soul. As a matter of fact, it's going to harm you. Nobody, nobody was telling Saul these things. Saul, if they were telling him, was not going to listen. And so he asked, hey, where's there a witch nearby? And his servants knew exactly where she was. So go down into verses 8 through 10. After godless disobedience was directing Saul and seeking the witch, now we find hypocritical deception was defining Saul. Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul, she doesn't know she's talking to Saul and she's quoting Saul. You know what he's done. He's cut off all the mediums and necromancers from the land. Why are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Now watch this. Verse number 10 is not insignificant. Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Here's what I want to tell you. He does not know how far he's gone. He is so detached from the Lord and so beyond conviction, so completely independent of the authority of God, that as he enters into unholy disobedience towards God, he actually does so by invoking the holy name of God. He sanctioned God's name on his disobedience. There's more than one way to, to take the name of the Lord in vain. And Saul did this. And the hypocrisy of his heart to utilize the name of the Lord to bring about a result that was in opposition to the heart of the Lord. Not to mention the fact that he must have known something was up. He took off his royal garments, didn't want to be seen as the king, disguised himself, and went by night to get this dirty deed done. Hypocrisy um, is... Uh, obviously something that grieves the heart of God. And I don't think anybody here is consulting witches and attaching Jesus' name to it, but I would just say it might be a good time for us just to inspect our heart, spy it out, and ask the Lord to reveal any layers of hypocrisy in there, and to prevent us from ever getting where Saul got, deal with it. 
deal quickly, keep short records of sin with the Lord, acknowledge hypocrisy and deal with it. Because hypocrisy is like a cancer, it's not content to stay in one place. And Saul's whole life at this point was now defined by hypocritical deception. So we go down into verse number 11 and we see really kind of the last throes of Saul's life where prideful defiance now dominated him. The woman said, verse 11, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. That means she screamed bloody murder. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You're Saul. And the king said to her, look how calm he is in the face of his own transgression, his own rebellion. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's like, that's like Jonah. Jonah was running in the opposite direction from the Lord, but had a false sense of peace that allowed him to sleep in the boat as it was moving away from the will of God. There's a false sense of peace that can find a person whose heart's been hardened. And Saul was now saying, oh, don't worry about this. It's almost as if, no, I do this kind of stuff all the time. Don't worry about it. Nothing ever happens. He says, now tell me what you see. And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. Remember, she's freaking out. This is is new territory for her. She's screaming, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And Saul's cool as a cucumber. He says, what's the appearance? And she says, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. Now, very quickly here. I don't know why this is debated among theologians. There's actually a debate as to whether or not this was actually Samuel or not. Because people have a a natural aversion to say, well, that's impossible. Samuel's in heaven with God and this wicked witch could not summon him up. I don't believe she actually utilized her power to bring him forth. I do believe it was the sovereign will of God to allow Saul to get what he wanted. And the reason why I believe this was Samuel and not some uh, imposter, not some demonic entity, is because everything that comes out of Samuel's mouth in a moment is straight in line with the will of God. He comes forth and pronounces judgment on Saul. He references conversations he had with Saul when he was alive. And and we're going to find out in a minute here that Samuel has this like post-mortem ministry. I mean, he's dead and he's still serving God. I mean, it's just incredible to me. And he actually, I mean, I want to be careful here. He sounds not only, you know, intense towards Saul, but he sounds kind of irritated. We're going to find that out in a minute. He's like, what, what are you bringing me up here for? Now, now watch this, friends. Listen. This occultic doorway opened up a realm that was not there just moments before, not visible. And without, I, I just, I, frankly, I don't have enough time, maybe not even enough skill really to articulate this, but I want us all to remember something, that this dimension that we live in is not only not the only dimension, it's not the most enduring dimension. We live horizontally in time, space, and as matter among matter. But there is an, a completely different dimension There are right now in this room, if we believe our Bibles, it is highly likely that there are angelic entities in the room with us. Angelic beings, angels, messengers. Say, Jeff, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let me just say this. They have to be somewhere. They're doing something. And the Bible says that they are ministers, God's servants. 
Jesus indicated that angels are assigned to children and there's no reason to think for us to think that we grow out of our need for angelic protection. And, and angels are interested. They long to look into these things, the scripture teaches us. But not only are there, there are holy angels in that dimension that we can't always see, but there's unholy angels. There are, I'm going to start sounding like H.G. Wells here if I'm not careful, but there are portals. There are openings. There are entryways. We, 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 we recognize when we read scripture that there's demonic activity, and we regularly say, okay, in demonic activity, they can seize bodies, they can move limbs, they can speak through voices, and we know that demons do that. But, but I also want to recognize that there is also, there's such a glorious goodness that demons don't have more power than God. And God can also bring the supernatural work through our lives, through our mouths, through our bodies, through all that we are. And the whole point in saying all of this is that we need to be very careful which doorway we're knocking on. Because let me tell you, you seek and you'll find. So you better seek the right thing. And Saul and the witch at Endor were going in the wrong direction, and they succeeded to the point where this woman seems to have gotten more than she bargained for. Maybe she was a fraud. Maybe she was just, you know, a, a shuckster, and, and she had never actually tapped into that dimension. Maybe that's why she freaked out. Maybe that's why she screamed. But regardless, when she saw it, she said, I see a God coming up. She saw some other dimensional entity coming up that turned out to be Samuel. And Saul is kind of calm and cool and collected about it. And he says, tell me what you see. What's it look like? And she said, it's an old man wearing a robe. So let's come down to the last uh, set of verses. Converse number 14 in the middle of it. Let's talk about this unwavering, blazing spirit of Samuel. I love this. He is still unwavering. Remember, it's an unwavering walk. And this is a post-mortem ministry. And he's still Samuel. He's still doing the right thing. I love that. Samuel's fearsome presence. This is great. End of verse 14. Saul knew that it was Samuel. And so what does he do? Look at this. He bows with his face to the ground and pays homage to him. And Samuel says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I mean, I, I don't want to be uh, cavalier with my Bible. But Samuel described having to come back to earth or come back into that dimension as being disturbing. It's like, in essence, he's saying, why are you bothering me? Saul, what in the world could have motivated you to disturb me? Now, again, I want to say this. I don't think that Samuel's spirit was under the control of this witch. Nothing happens apart from a sovereign God giving permission to it happening. And it is of my opinion, just like with Moses and uh, Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were there by the authority and the permission of God, and they were conversing with Jesus and obviously made an impression on the three disciples that were there. I literally believe that, that God dispatched Samuel to this scene to predict, or excuse me, to pronounce judgment on Saul. And so Samuel's fearsome presence brought Sa Saul on his uh, face, brought him down to his knees. So look in verse 15 at the end of it. Look at Saul's response. Look at his faithless desperation. Samuel's asked the question, why are you messing with me? Saul answers, I'm in great distress. 
The Philistines are warring against me. God has turned away from me, answers me no more, either by prophets or by their dreams. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I shall do. He is so devoid of faith, so calloused to the wrongness of what he's doing, so above the possibility of conviction that he has invoked the name of holy God to to speak to a witch about performing an unholy act. He is completely oblivious. This is the danger of us hardening our hearts even a little bit. And let me tell you why. When we harden our hearts, what does that look like, Jeff? What are you talking about? It means when we know what to do, and that being the right thing to do by God, and for whatever reason, we say no, we compromise, we make allowances, we overcompensate in this area of good and ignore this area of wrongdoing, and what we're doing is we're callousing our hearts. We're hardening our hearts against God, and literally that thing will grow and grow, and it is possible that we can so harden our hearts against God in an area that that area begins to grow into other areas. And what has happened to Saul at this point is he is beyond the sting of conviction. He cannot hear the holy voice of God, and it may very well be that God's not even speaking to him anymore. And so when we get to this point, he says, yeah, Samuel, I had to come to you because God's not talking to me anymore. Just the desperation of all of that. Notice this, by the way. He says, yeah, I'm not getting anything through dreams or prophets. Notice that he doesn't bring up the priests. He doesn't want to have to talk about the fact, yeah, I actually killed all the priests and they're not an option either. So we get down into verses 16 through 19. And Samuel, this is the final word of Samuel. This is impressive. So Saul said, God's not talking to me, so Samuel, I had to bypass God and get to you. And Samuel says, why then are you asking me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Ouch. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Notice here, guys, this is why it all happened. Because he was disobedient. And he didn't carry out the fierce wrath of God against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, now this is where the pronouncement of judgment comes. Beyond all that God has done to you, Saul, let me tell you what he's about to do. The Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And Saul, tomorrow you and your sons are going to exit the realm that you've been living in. And you're going to come into the realm that I'm in. In other words, Saul, you and your heirs will die tomorrow. That is intense. And then he adds this. And the Lord's going to give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So I'm going to flash back to the beginning of Saul's life and his reign. And the thing that Israel wanted a king for was, we need a king to go out before us like all the other nations, because we need a king that's going to protect us from the enemies. And so all of the years of Saul's life from that point to this point, the day before his death, it's his last night on earth. And what's the end result? That the king's not standing, the king's fallen on his face. And the king is not protecting Israel from their enemies. The judgment is, yeah, the very people that you were supposed to protect and lead against, uh, the people that you were supposed to protect, 
and lead against this enemy, the enemy's actually going to come in and the whole nation is going to come, come under the power of the Philistines. And the Philistines did win that battle, by the way. Now, David's going to be coming up and there's going to be a reclamation of, of the territory and the land and, and the glory of Israel. It's going to be amazing under David, but we're talking about Saul. And so everything that Israel wanted, which began also in the flesh, give us a king. We don't want Samuel to rule over us, and we don't want God to be our king. We want a human king. We want to be like everybody else. Samuel and God had a discussion, and God said, Samuel, it's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me. Just give them what they want. And even after that, God said, it's a wrong decision, but if you'll turn to me now, I'll bless you. It can work. That's grace. That's mercy. But, but Saul wouldn't. And Saul was insecure. If you, if you study his life, you're going to find the trajectory of Saul's life began with insecurity. That resulted in him being self-willed and self-preserving. That led to constant disobedience. It resulted in jealousy when David started coming on the scene. That jealousy turned to paranoia where Saul was out to kill David. And then ultimately, I believe it led to madness and to lunacy. I literally believe that by the time of Saul's death, he was clinically insane. He was definitely demonized. And here at the end of his life, the man, the first king over all of God's people is getting the pronouncement of judgment while he's wrapped in peasant's robes and in a witch's house. And he didn't get there overnight. He got there by tiny surrenders. So the very last thing, Samuel gave that final word. And look at what it did, this fiery stroke from Samuel, verse 20. Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear. That's his testimony. Filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. There's no repentance. I think he's beyond repentance. There's no sense of agony that he had sinned against God. He's fearing for himself still. Because judgment just got pronounced on him. And then there's the footnote that there was no strength left in him. That's intense, right? You know, this is not John 3.16. And this is, this is the antithesis of this. This is raw. This is dangerous. This is sobering stuff. And so when I read my Bible, I'm always saying it's in there. The things that were written aforetime are there for my instruction. They're there for my learning. The New Testament speaks that over the Old Testament, that all of those things are there for us to be instructed and learn. And we've covered so much tonight, I'm, I'm not going to try to pinpoint everything we can learn, but, but I, I do want to say this. I feel very strongly about this. I, some of you have been with me the whole time I've been the pastor, and I don't know that I've ever touched on this topic. This issue of occultism and New Ageism, it, it wears a, a, a thousand different masks. It comes, and again, it can come subtly and incrementally, dropping our, our threshold and, and numbing us. We get numb to it. Comes through, I'm gonna sound very old fashioned here, but I hope you'll listen. Comes through movies, it comes through misogynistic music that degrades women and elevates sexuality. It comes through violence, it comes through a constant stream of of baseless information through social media and, and what we allow to come in. It's the old uh, uh, 
software writing thing, garbage in, garbage out, guy go. What comes in is going to come out. And so I would just say this. I'm going to speak as your brother, not as your pastor. I'm going to speak as your brother and hopefully a friend. That mind that you've got is a precious thing that God has given you. Guard it. Guard it diligently. Nobody, Nobody outside of the body of Christ is going to tell you, protect your mind from the wickedness that's in the world. And I especially want to say there's a lot of us that are still raising kids in this room. And and a lot of you have grandkids. Your your kids have flown the coop. But all of this stuff that's coming, the stuff that kids watch today, man, I am sounding old, would have made adults blush 40 years ago. What happened? Incremental hardening of our hearts. A desire to be friends with our children more than guides to our children. And so on the back end of it, what we've got is is a couple of generations living on planet Earth right now that are kind of open to everything. And so what's the remedy? Because I don't want to just point out the problem. Here's the remedy. You need to be spiritual. And the spirit that you need is God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who speaks through the Holy Bible and speaks with his own voice. Listen, if, if Jesus said, if you're my sheep, you're going to know my voice. Well, Jesus is sitting on a throne in heaven. So he's not here speaking in that sense. But he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I've got to go away, but I'm going to send another. And so we didn't miss a beat, church. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down, and he's doing the exact work that Jesus would be doing if Jesus was walking the planet. And so as we long to hear the voice of Jesus, let us learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we press into him, and we ingest the word, and we develop discernment, and your your antenna will raise, and your radar will go off, and the Holy Spirit, because you're filled with him, will say, nope, I don't want to share your mind with that resource. I don't want to share your ears with that song. I don't want to share your ears with that kind of conversation. Now, I know this is about as old-fashioned as you can get, but I want some old-fashioned Holy Ghost power in my life. I I, I am not into a compromised kind of testimony that will dabble with occultic stuff and then come to church on Sunday, lift my hands in holy worship, and then leave saying, hmm, they all seem to be experiencing power and joy and an encounter with God. I bet it was all fake because I felt nothing. Well, let me just ask you something. What's going into your life during the week that is insulating you from what God is doing when his people gather together? Amen? I better shut up. I probably transgressed into areas. I've given you enough to think about tonight, but I'm going to tell you something. Let's be holy. Let's not just talk about the Spirit. Let's honor Him by His, can I say it this way? His first name, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And let us press into Him because I, wanna, I want us to be a holy people. There is a power in the kingdom that we're cut off from apart from holiness. And holiness is not our standard of holiness. Holiness is determined by the one who is altogether holy. The one who doesn't incrementally lower his standards. They've been the same for all of eternity.